Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What's going on, everybody, and welcome into another edition of B Shafe Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you, early morning hours of Wednesday, July 13th, as we break down, well, hey, another Cardinals winner. As the Cardinals suddenly streaking in the right direction, after a couple wins over the Phillies to wrap up that series, Sunday and Monday, they head to the ballpark on Tuesday to face the mighty Los Angeles Dodgers, and they come away with a victory despite what was Ostensibly a bullpen game for the Cardinals on Tuesday. A few changes going on with the pitching rotation and the way they wanted to handle things for Tuesday's game. Talk about that. It was a Matthew Libertor day, but Libertor did not end up getting the start as the Cardinals pull a switcheroo at not necessarily the last minute, but certainly late enough in the process to where evidently Dave Roberts, Dodgers manager, didn't even notice. Now, the Cardinals were going with Jordan Hicks as the opener instead of Matthew Libertor as the starter, as previously assumed. So that changed things a little bit for the Dodgers and Cardinals matchup on Tuesday. A little cat and mouse game going on with the Dodgers, which is fun because always they're the team with their pitching plans that they like to wait till the last minute to tell everybody what's going on. And so the Cardinals give them a little bit of a taste of their own medicine today. Surprise, though to see that Dave Roberts didn't know, at least didn't know before he submitted his lineup full of right-handed hitters that Jordan Hicks was going to start the game. And then I think Ollie Marmel, in response to that, said, well, we'll keep riding with right-handers for a little longer even until we can get Matthew Libertor into a good spot where we feel most comfortable with him being able to be effective later in the game. They saw Johan Oviedo come into this game as well before the quote-unquote starter in Matthew Libertor actually got in to pitch for the Cardinals beginning, and I believe it was the fourth inning is when Libertor came into the game after good enough outings by Jordan Hicks and by Johan Oviedo. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about how the pitching certainly was a little bit unique tonight for the Cardinals. We can talk about an offense that came through for St. Louis, coming up with enough runs to beat the Dodgers 7-6 to at Bush Stadium on Tuesday night. It started with Albert Pujols, and a wonderfully St. Louis collaboration between number five and Nelly himself. That was the big story of the game until this game turned into a three and a half hour marathon that the Cardinals certainly were at risk of losing at one point in time. After the Cardinals built their big six to one lead, turns out the Dodgers, hey, they're pretty good at this battling back stuff. So we'll talk about the Dodgers making their way back into this game against a slew of Cardinals relievers. But then it was Packy Naughton who really comes in and saves the day for the Cardinals. He does it again. What a week it's been for Packy Naughton out of the Cardinals bullpen, really solidifying himself as a valued member of this roster, doing a great job. And and certainly the Cardinals would not have won this game on Tuesday if not for the job that Naughton did there, putting the Dodgers down, despite a bases-loaded, nobody-out situation coming in. 
to the seventh inning and somehow ends it right where he found it. And then we'll talk a little bit about the offensive contributions coming from some unlikely sources. And I think that's important for the Cardinals to get to experience that at some point. Because if you can think back beyond the last week or two where the offense has really been struggling and now they're starting to maybe make their way out of that slump, this has been a team that had largely been carried by Paul Goldschmidt. Nolan Arenado has had his moments to carry the club. And then you've seen sporadic contributions from elsewhere for a while. It was Tommy Edmond, right, early on in the season. He had a good night tonight, which hopefully helps him to bust out of the recent skid that he's been on. And there's been injuries to the outfield. Guys like Carlson, O'Neill, and Bader, all of them have spent time on the injured list at one time or another this season. And so you haven't had that continuity there with the top to mid portion of your lineup. But you've been really able to rely upon guys like Goldsmith, Arenado for the bulk of the year. But the bottom of the lineup is really an area for this team that we've looked at over the past week or two and said, boy, those batting averages don't look very good. The the productivity you're getting from those spots does not look very good. Something's got to give for the Cardinals. Well, over the last couple of days, and in particular tonight, on Tuesday in this win, something has begun to give when it comes to the bottom of the lineup. And got to talk to Andrew Kisner about what that was like this evening in a situation where the Cardinals really needed these guys to come through. They did, and they did again in a very key moment in this game in the eighth inning. With the Cardinals leading 6-5, to five, they come up with a key insurance run that ended up being very useful as the Cardinals pull this one off 7-6. So all that and more coming up on today's episode of B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys for being with me. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so before. Would love to have you on board. Got a great message from Luke earlier today. This was actually back on Tuesday, I guess, since it's now past midnight. But he told me, hey, loving the podcast. And I made sure to give you a five-star review on Apple. I said, that's my dude right there. Appreciate him for doing that. Would love for you to do the same. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast. Be Shape Daily can probably be found there. I I do want to get more into the YouTube stuff, but I just haven't had a lot of time to do that. But we're rocking and rolling here on the podcast feed. So hop aboard and you won't miss a thing. But let's get into this episode by talking some Albert Pujols. It's been really cool to see him announcing his participation in the upcoming Home Run Derby next week in Los Angeles. The fact that he hasn't done this since 2015, hasn't done it as a member of the Cardinals since 2009, and he's sort of soaking in the last year of his career. And I think it's really cool that he's starting to have a little bit more fun with things, lay back, relax a little bit in terms of just not being quite so wound tight when it comes to certain aspects of the game. And he's been really a pleasure for the Cardinals clubhouse to be able to have the younger guys get to experience that wealth of knowledge and information, and Albert's done a good job with all that. On the field, though, you maybe could say you're a little disappointed. I don't know what a lot of people were expecting, and I'm sure expectations were sort of scattered across the board of what they were thinking Albert would be able to do really offensively and what the numbers would look like this season. But I know that number of 700 home runs was one that was sticking out for a lot of people. What do you need? 21, I think, coming into the season and that seemed like pretty far-fetched. Last year, he had 17, though, so maybe not too ridiculous of a stretch to think it might be possible. But the playing time has kind of gone by the wayside. Albert, for a bulk of the season, hasn't been super effective. He's still been a clutch player. You see him get those sacrifice flies and, and come up and take a good at-bat in certain situations of the game. But he wasn't really getting the home run totals, and so I think that kind of dream has 
has died, perhaps, of Albert getting to, to 700. But he got one step closer on Tuesday night with a big-time home run to put the Cardinals on the board first in this game against the Dodgers. Starts things off in the second inning with a 386-foot line shot to left field. The home run puts the Cardinals on the board, makes it one nothing Cardinals there in the second. But that was hardly the most fascinating part of this moment, right? The most memorable part of this entire thing happens after Albert Pujols crosses home plate and he gives a couple of high fives. And then I think he kind of maybe snubbed the bat boy, but he, he, there's a reason for it. He was looking into the crowd and made his way immediately toward Nelly, who was seated in the front row at the time next to the Cardinals dugout and through the safety netting behind home plate, Albert Pujols and Nelly enjoy a double high five celebrating the home run. And I immediately said, is there anything more St. Louis that you've ever seen in your life than Albert Pujols double high-fiving Nelly behind home plate after hitting a home run as a member of the St. Louis Cardinals in Bush Stadium? I don't think it gets any better than that. The only thing missing was like toasted ravioli and Emo's pizza. I don't know how you could have possibly incorporated that into it, but that was pretty much the only elements that uh, I think were missing. Somebody could have pulled out their phone and shown the three three on four area code. I don't really know what else you would have needed there, but really great to see a fun moment tonight at the ballpark between Albert and Nelly, who of course is a big Cardinals fan. Later on in the game, he had the microphone in his hand and they were playing the guessing game they do on the video board. It was guess three Nelly songs and uh, Nelly was the host of it. So I guess if the contestant needed any help, they, they probably had someone they could have turned to, but just really fun moment but then there was a baseball game right that happened after this I was kind of caught up in that and going wow that was real great then the Cardinals had a really good uh, start to this game they scored three runs in the second inning they they kept the rally rolling Corey Dickerson had another good night his part of that group at the bottom of the lineup that was making things happen for the Cardinals ultimately going two for four with a pair of doubles and doubles in both of his first two at bats of the night for Dickerson so important for him to get going the Cardinals like I said You've had the bottom of that lineup that hasn't really produced, and Dickerson's been on the injured list for quite a while, but certainly before he went down with the injury, he was not producing and, and not up to the, the par or the expectations of the one-year $5 million contract that he signed with the Cardinals. And if he would get going, contact-oriented guy, that's why the Cardinals brought him in. They thought he could be a boost for batting average, for on-base percentage for the team. Maybe not so much a power guy anymore, but you hit the ball hard, good things can happen. That was the mindset when they brought in Corey Dickerson at the beginning of the season back in spring training. Hasn't really panned out to this point, but now don't look, But or you can look if you want to, I guess. But over the last couple of days, he's been able to put things together. Was two for three yesterday with that home run. Back on Monday, Tuesday, a nice two for four, a pair of doubles and two runs scored. So he's maybe starting to turn the corner a little bit, and it's not like he's dinking him in. The second double was sort of, the kind you just sneak inside the third baseline, but it was hit pretty well. The ground rule double, though, that he hit in the second inning ends up contributing to that rally continuing. It was a Juan Yepes base hit. Corey Dickerson doubling to straightaway center field. Ball goes over the wall onto Freeze's lawn after one bounce. That was pretty well struck. And so I like what I'm seeing from him. He's taking good at bats. Andrew Kisner was able to take some good at bats again tonight as well. Three for four for Kiz in this game. Drives in three of the Cardinals' runs. We'll talk about the, the big one that came in the eighth inning. But there in the second inning, he was able to get a base hit, help score 
Corey Dickerson, get the Cardinals out to that 3 nothing lead, and they were hoping to build from there. On the pitching side of things, it was going to be difficult to tamp down that Dodgers lineup with the way the Cardinals went to approach it, but I think they did just about as well as they could. This is basically your fifth spot in your rotation, right? You don't really feel super comfortable with what that looks like. Matthew Libertor is here. He hasn't had a ton of success so far this season, but they're giving him a try. And in doing so, you're not just going to expose left-handed rookie Matthew Libertor, I think, to a very powerful right-handed hitting Dodgers lineup. And Dave Roberts really did stack the deck with those right-handed hitters tonight, anticipating Libertor. And according to Jeff Jones, I saw him tweet about it and said, yeah, Roberts didn't know that the switch was made to start Jordan Hicks as an opener tonight for the Cardinals. Didn't know that before submitting the lineup, which just seems implausible to me. There'd have to be somebody on staff that would be keeping an eye on those things. But nevertheless, Jordan Hicks ends up beginning the game, throwing pretty hard, looked pretty good, but the the command is still an issue for Jordan Hicks. Had three walks in an inning and two-thirds. He was supposed to go two innings, he said, after the game, but the pitch count got up. He said, you walk three guys, that's what's going to happen. So he seemed to be understanding about being pulled when he was. Three walks, one hit allowed for Hicks, over five outs recorded. Couldn't quite get out of that second inning. Johan Oviedo comes in. Again, at that point, with the walks that had occurred with Hicks, you weren't in a great spot in the lineup for Libertor to come right in. They are not going to want Matthew Libertor as a starting pitcher who, when he was describing what his approach was to this game on Tuesday afterwards in the clubhouse, I could sense that maybe he was a little bit thrown by the notion of having the opener. And he said, I didn't quite go through my normal routine. It's not that he was trying to make excuses for giving up three runs in two and a third innings pitch, but it could tell that maybe it was just a little bit of something different for Matthew Libertor. And so he had to kind of make an adjustment to what that looked like but you weren't going to bring him in in the middle of an inning. And that's why you saw Oviedo to finish off the second. He got that out, but then gives up a run in the third inning, ends up getting through that inning, inning in a third for Oviedo, one run allowed, couple hits, a walk. You don't really want to nitpick too much with what the stat lines were on some of these relievers, in my opinion, just because this is a very potent Dodgers lineup. And so you can expect them to have some success against you, but it's just about holding the levy, trying to hold it, serve, and give your offense as much of a chance as you can to steal a win when you've got your number five starter, quote-unquote, out there on the mound against a really good Dodgers team. Tonight was about stealing a win. The Cardinals were able to do that, but it didn't come necessarily very easy, even though at one point in this game, the Cardinals led 6-1. to I mentioned the one run Oviedo gave up. That was it for the Cardinals for a little while until you got into the fifth inning for Los Angeles when they were able to start getting some runs together off of Libertor. But the Cardinals scored in three separate innings. They get the three runs that I mentioned in the second. They score another one in the third inning. And that coming on an absolute bomb by Nolan Gorman, his eighth of the season. Good to see him getting into the power stroke a little bit more. Cardinals need that kind of production. If he's going to end up being a middle-of-the-order type bat, I think he can fit at the number five spot in the lineup. You get a guy like Tyler O'Neill back. Maybe you even bump Gorman down to six or so, but he can be a really damaging player from those positions, especially against right-handed pitching, which is generally when he's going to be most comfortable, even though he's had some sporadic success so far when thrown out there against lefties recently for the Cardinals. Generally, you're going to see Gorman against righties have some success. Maybe not enough to put him in that number two spot in the lineup. I know that's been floated a little bit. I stated last night on B-Shape Daily that I like to see Dylan Carlson more in that spot in the lineup, and I guess Ollie must have been listening. That's where Dylan was 
for tonight's game, though not a great outing by him. 0 for 4, but did reach base via walk and score a run. It wasn't a great night necessarily for the middle of the Cardinals lineup. You think about guys like Carlson, Goldsmith, Arenado, that was your 2-3-4. Uh, they all reached base at least once. Arenado does twice by going 1-3 for three with an RBI and a walk. Goldsmith just a, a very quintessential 1-5, for five. nothing special about that. I mean, it's crazy when he doesn't even have an O for him. We go, man, kind of a quiet night from Goldsmith. But that's the way it's been for him this season when you have a 333 batting average and the OPS still above 1,000 right now at 1013. Though if he wants to make sure to stay on that MVP trajectory, might have to pick it up a little bit to to keep it above 1,000. That's a number that I think if you look at that, it's going to be hard not to vote for the guy for the MVP award unless some other guys in the National League can pick up their pace and, and be able to match or surpass what Goldschmidt's been able to do. But it's just kind of crazy to think about that those key spots in the lineup typically are where the Cardinals have been getting a lot of their production this year. Tonight, not necessarily the case. The production was spread pretty well throughout the lineup. You only had Carlson as the only guy in the starting lineup, or really the only guy to take it at bat because they had Newt Bar pinch hit, but he came through as part of that eighth inning rally. So Carlson was the only guy to take it at bat that did not register a hit, but he did reach base, as I mentioned. And I still think moving forward, I like what he could potentially do from that number two spot in the lineup. So for me, that would leave Gorman more in that five or six range. And if he can hit homers like he did tonight, gets that OPS around 760, I still think long run you'll see more from Nolan Gorman in that regard because as the power comes, guys are going to have to be a little more careful with him. He maybe starts to draw some more walks when the plate discipline emerges. That's something that he could certainly work on and continue to improve upon. But he's just a rookie and hasn't even been up for the entire season. So I still think moving forward, Lot to like about where Nolan Gorman is, and he shows that that is the case with that home run there in the third inning. Cardinals able to answer back. That's a situation where after the Dodgers got that first run, top of the third, Gorman was able to answer back with one in the bottom of the inning. Cardinals tack on a couple more in the fourth inning as well. Andrew Kisner, Nolan Arenado coming through with a couple of RBIs. Just good to see the Cardinals be able to do that in multiple innings because it's been a case where... That, that just hasn't been very common for them over this recent slide. And I guess we can't call it a slide anymore because they've now won three games in a row. But you remember how lean things were looking prior to the end of the weekend. You go Saturday to Saturday or whatever it was. It was pretty rough in terms of run scoring for the Cardinals. Finding a way to score in various ways tonight, hitting the ball pretty hard. Like By and large, the Cardinals collected quite a few hits. I believe 13 hits for the night. Uh, the Dodgers had 10, but you, you out hit the Dodgers and you go 13 to put up seven runs. That's an accomplishment. And I think a lot of the hits, the Cardinals, they're pretty well earned. Kisner had one that sort of dropped in inside the right field line. And Kisner said after the game, the guys were joking with him about that being like a golf shot that he was able to just kind of park in there on onto the green. But hey, they all count. And, and that's something that I asked him. Is that a kind of hit that could get you going? And he says really it's just about the approach. And, and he feels like they're taking good approaches right now. But it was good to have some of the validation that, hey, yeah, the approach is good. We believe that that we're in a good spot here. Sometimes you just have to see those results, though, to be able to keep the faith. And the Cardinals are certainly seeing the results there. Bottom of the order, as I mentioned, doing a really nice job tonight. They, they help contribute to getting those six runs early on in the process. Uh, but then I'll get to how they ended up really solidifying themselves toward the end of this game. But I'll just give you an example. Six through nine, it was Pujols, Yepes, Dickerson and Kisner tonight. Those guys, if I can do some quick math, combined to have seven hits in this game. 
in looks like 14 at-bats. And then Newt Barr was a pinch hitter for one of those guys, and he comes up with a double into right field as part of the eighth-inning rally. So 8 for 15 out of 6 through 9 in your batting order, you're not going to lose very many games when you hit that way. But the reason that the Cardinals almost did lose this game despite hitting that way well, as well, the, the Dodgers have a pretty good lineup as well, and they were able to take advantage of the Cardinals pitching a little bit. There wasn't anything super loud about what happened to Matthew Libertor. He did give up the one home run, so I guess I can't say that entirely. But he really sounded like a confident kid in the postgame talking to me about the fact that he felt like he made some pretty good pitches. The Dodgers have a good lineup, and so they just happened to hit some of those pitches. Didn't walk anybody. I think that's a key. It's not like he's pitching scared to these guys, and that's where you can find yourself getting into even more trouble. But it wasn't a super productive night for Libertor. Coming in in the fourth inning, as I mentioned, two and a third innings pitched, gives up the four base hits, one of which was a home run, and coughs up three runs in the process. As you are right now for the season with St. Louis up to 5.33. He talked as though he felt the execution wasn't necessarily too poor for him tonight. Though I'm sure there are areas where he could have improved. But he said maybe the, the pitch sequencing is something that I would go back and look at and see if there aren't maybe different ways to mix up the repertoire there and try to do a better job of keeping those talented Dodgers hitters off balance. But that's where the Dodgers started to creep their way back into the game. Then a little bit of trouble there with Junior Fernandez, which the, the ERA for him is still zero because the run that he gave up that he was charged with in the seventh scores due to some unearned circumstances as Trey Turner initially reached on a catcher's interference. They had to review for this. And definitely the swing made impact with the glove of Andrew Kisner instead of the baseball, although it may have kind of connected with the baseball at the same time, but he got plenty of leather and did so before a foul ball would have been ruled. And I thought that overturn was the correct call. They initially said foul ball, therefore no interference, but I think he got the glove before he made contact with the ball. So a little bit of a, a tricky situation there. Cardinals fans didn't like the ruling, but I think it was Probably correct in retrospect, but that put Trey Turner on in the seventh inning, and this was after already Junior had come into the game to try and bail out Matthew Libertor, allowed one of his inherited runners to score, and so the Dodgers were really creeping back into this thing to the point where when the seventh inning was unfolding, you might have thought the Cardinals are, I mean, if you look at win probability, I would imagine the Cardinals were not favored in terms of probability to win the game at the point where all this was going down in the seventh a little bit of a tough outing for Junior Fernandez, but again, he's been so good for so many outings that I'm willing to give him a pass, but he just didn't have kind of that attacked killer instinct mentality that we've seen from him when he's been successful with the Cardinals this season. Freddie Freeman got a base hit, base hit for Will Smith that ends up bringing Trey Turner around. He was the owner and run. Then a throwing error by Newt Barr sort of got everybody in uh, just a, a mode where you feel like, oh boy, it's really starting to pile up on itself. And how are we going to find a way to escape this? A walk then to Justin Turner, loaded the bases, and that's where the Cardinals turned to Packy Naughton. And again, at that point, you've got the tying run on third base, the go-ahead run on second. There's nobody out. And this Dodgers lineup up and down is just loaded with talented hitters. Fortunately, you were there toward the bottom of the order, finding a way there to maybe get away with something, but you've still got Max Muncy that you have to face. I mean, this guy's a multi-time all-star, certainly not having as good of a season as he's typically accustomed, but that doesn't mean that in that moment you're you're feeling pretty good about the Cardinals' chances, even though it's 7-8-9, but you get that lefty-lefty matchup between Muncy and Packy Naughton. Packy Naughton gets the fly ball, 
All right, one down. Then you've got to face Hanser Alberto, who's another guy that you feel like, all right, maybe that's a favorable enough matchup for Packy Naughton just because of the guys that it could be. He's not one of their star players in Hanser Alberto, but that is a right-left matchup. But this is a guy with a 220 batting average for the season. Doesn't have a whole lot of pop, not a lot of power to his game, just slugging 338. So, again, maybe Cardinals catching a break, get the pop up second out of the inning. Now it's Cody Bellinger. How in the world is Cody Bellinger, former National League MVP, batting so low in the Dodgers order? It just doesn't feel right. But, again, he's another guy who has struggled this season, is not playing up to his capability. I initially mentioned that Bellinger was the nine batter. I think I said it was seven, eight, nine. It was actually six, seven, eight in the order with Bellinger batting eighth. Hanser Alberto was seventh. And then Trace Thompson originally was the batter slated to come in and and bat sixth in that spot. But they went to the pinch hitter Muncie to face Fernandez, which is why Ollie Marmel was comfortable going with Packy Naughton because you get that left-on-left situation. Cardinals were able to get through Muncie, through Alberto, and then Cody Bellinger. And during this at-bat, Nolan Arenado made an attempt on a pop fly right in front of the visitor's dugout, and he was shifted a little bit for the left-handed batting Bellinger toward the hole, not quite to where the shortstop would normally play, but he was very far off the third base back. And Arenado, this was just incredible, and it was on a play that he didn't even make, and so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But it just goes to show the athleticism that he has and the drive and the competitiveness. This was a huge spot in the Cardinals game, you could argue, in the Cardinals season. I mean, anytime you're playing a team like the Dodgers and you've got a game that feels like it's in hand, but it really never is when you're playing this team, when you're playing Los Angeles and they're so good, they lead the league and come from behind victories. Something that Andrew Kistner said, I don't even know if we really knew that as a team going into this game, but you just had that feeling that this is a team that can obviously come back from any sort of deficit with the power that they have in their lineup. And so everybody on that diamond is looking for a way to get that third out. And the pop foul was clearly going to be within fair territory, or not within fair territory, but within play. It wasn't going into the dugout. It wasn't going over the fence, over the netting, anything like that. Arnado's like, I got to make a play on this ball, even though from where he was, it was just going to be a tall order to ask. And yet he puts a glove on it. He slides in a way that doesn't injure himself all that badly. I think he might have come close to or, or maybe knocked his head a little bit on the, the railing there, but he had done such a good job of kind of planting his feet and sliding feet first to keep himself as safe as possible. He wasn't totally reckless, but he was doing everything in his power to try and make a play on that ball and couldn't make it happen, which extended the Bellinger at bat. But Packy Naughton, I thought it was interesting after the game, said of that play that that actually pumped him up even more if that was possible for him at that moment because he could just see what his teammates laying his body out on the line to try and do, try and get him and the team out of that jam. And I think that put a little bit more fire into Packy Naughton, and it manifested, folks. 95 miles per hour from the lefty Naughton to strike out Cody Bellinger. He said the fastball had been working, and, and he thought that was a pitch that he could put him away with. And I didn't know that Packy Naughton had 95 in there, but Jordan Hicks said after, oh, yeah, he can he can pump it. Maybe he doesn't pump it quite like Jordan Hicks does or like Ryan Helsley did. I think Ryan Helsley hit 103 tonight in his eighth inning of work. But just pretty impressive to see what Packy Naughton was able to do. A truly remarkable moment, and it really did feel like the game was about lost. You didn't know how it was going to unfold, but you kind of had an idea. Cardinals were starting to get hit hard there a little bit. Like I said, Junior Fernandez walks a guy not at his best tonight. 
But Naughton comes in, packy, and he sends him packing. Really big to see for him and for the Cardinals to be able to keep that 6-5 to five lead. I mentioned Helsley. Ollie said after the game that Ryan Helsley had just one inning in him, and they chose to use him in the eighth inning there, which meant Gio Gallegos for the ninth. But before the Cardinals got to the ninth, it was important to find some insurance because this Dodgers lineup is certainly capable, and they were coming up on the middle of the order. Guy like Freddie Freeman's going to bat, and you know that's going to be a potentially dangerous spot. And so that's where it was clutched that Lars Newtbar and company were able to get it going from the bottom of the lineup. And Andrew Kisner comes up with another clutch run batted in. He was able to get that seventh run on the board. I tweeted it out at the time, like a good neighbor, Kisner is there. And it turned out to be the case because Freddie Freeman goes deep off of Gio Gallegos in the top of the ninth inning. Freeman goes four for five, by the way, a couple of RBIs and a home run. Great day for him. But that run ends up being the difference because Gio's able to get out of the rest of the inning at that point, but does give up the solo shot, as Gallegos has been a little bit prone to do at times this season, but has the two strikeouts, gets out of the inning. That's the only hit that he allowed. And the Cardinals escape this one with a 7-6 victory to extend the winning streak now to three games. I don't know if people, I guess they say three is a streak. I always said two is a streak because two in a row. I don't know why you have to get to three to consider a streak. But nevertheless, the Cardinals are on one now, and they'll be hoping that they can continue the good fortune when they play the Dodgers again on Wednesday, and they'll get them on Thursday as well before welcoming in the Cincinnati Reds over the weekend. But like this was the game of this series that you probably had the most questions of from the Cardinals' perspective with the pitching matchup because you've got a lot of right-handed hitters that can crush a lefty like Libertor in that Dodgers lineup. And so what the Cardinals do is they decide we're not going to let that happen. We're going to really strategically plan this thing. It's going to be effectively a bullpen game. And it worked out. I know that they gave up six runs. I know that it wasn't pretty. I know that they almost blew the game. But at the end of the day, they were able to come up with it. And that's really all that matters. Cardinals get that big time W in the standings. And then you've got two more games against this really talented team. The pitching matchups are never going to favor you. Not every time, at least, when you play the Dodgers. Tony Gonsolin may be the starter for the National League in the All-Star game. I don't know if that's been announced or decided. I think it should be Alcantara, Sandy Alcantara for the Marlins. But Gonsolin is 11-0, so it's not like he's lost many games this season or any. ERA in the low twos. He's been fantastic for Los Angeles. He'll take on Adam Wainwright, though, on Wednesday. We know that Waino is plenty capable in his own right. I expect an absolute gem of a pitching duel tomorrow night. As long as Wainwright's able to to do his part, I think you're going to see this one be a, a situation where both starters go pretty deep, and it, it could be up to the bullpens to decide. But the Cardinals are going to have to try and scratch and claw anything they can get off of Gonsolin because he's just been really, really sharp so far this season. And then on Thursday, Dakota Hudson, good in his last start, needs to stay that way, and it's going to be a tall task against L.A. He will take on Tyler Anderson, who's 9-1. and one. So I mentioned that Tuesday was probably the most questionable pitching matchup just because you had the inexperience and the left-handed nature of Libertor going up against Mitch White for the Dodgers. So that's Mitch White's the worst Dodgers starter that was going to throw in the series, obviously, when you have Gonsolin and Anderson combining for a 20-1 record being the other starters for L.A. But I, I do kind of stand by that because I just think it was a hard game for the Cardinals to map out and win. They had to map it out with the pitching plan the way that they did. I know it was a little bit funky. I saw some comments from people saying, oh, there's Jordan Hicks again. Can't get deep into games. No, this was intentional. They wanted him to be the opener. Hicks said he was expecting two innings, walked multiple guys, and so that's why he didn't quite get through two. 
makes sense with the pitch count. They, they wanted him around 40, no more. I think he ended up at 38. But I do feel like Tuesday's one the Cardinals effectively stole. And now with a guy like Wainwright going on Wednesday, you may say the Dodgers have the advantage in the pitching matchup. They probably do. If the other guy's 11-0, that just stands to reason. But I think he can definitely hold his own. I would worry about the Dakota Hudson-Tyler Anderson matchup on Thursday, even a little more so than what it looks like for Wednesday. But the one thing I'll say is if Hudson did it last time, just replicate what you did to be successful in your six scoreless innings in your last outing, and maybe everything could be fine. The Cardinals can find a way to just get two or three. I think they got the first one out of the way. If you can split the next two and then go into the weekend series, the final one before the All-Star break, and try and make something happen against the Cincinnati Reds, pretty low in your division, I think that's the key for the Cardinals to see if they can't start to make up some ground in the division, which I know they've been doing. They started out today only two games behind the Brewers, who haven't been playing super well in their own right. Milwaukee, though, does get the win over Minnesota this evening, 6-3, to and they remain two games ahead of the Cardinals for first place in the National League Central Division. But if you can go into the All-Star break saying, hey, we split with the Phillies after losing the first two of that series, so that was the best-case scenario at that point, win the latter two, we took two or three from the Dodgers, and we took two of three from the Reds, finding a way to go into the All-Star break with a winning homestand, especially after the way things had been going the previous week for St. Louis. I think that would be definitely chalked up as a win. So you don't have to sweep the Dodgers. It'd be nice, but find a way to split Wednesday and Thursday, and I think you'll be in a good position heading into the weekend, turning that rotation back over and seeing what you can't do against the Cincinnati Reds. So that's kind of the recap of what took place on Tuesday's game. I do want to get into one bit of news that did not have anything to do with what happened on the field on Tuesday. But before the game, Cardinals coming up with a little bit more of a substantive plan, a little more definitive on what it's going to look like for Yadier Molina to rejoin the club. It's been a question around this team for a while now. It's been a little bit strange seeing the star catcher be permitted to go back home to Puerto Rico, which makes sense. He's Yadier's dealt with some personal issues this year. Remember back in spring training, he came in late. I'm sure there's a reason for it, and I'm not going to really speculate on what that looks like. But the Cardinals were comfortable with it, I think, for a while, but only to an extent. They they got to where over the last week you could tell the tensions were rising a little bit on this situation. Nobody was saying, yeah, Yachty needs to get his butt back here. That's not what the quotes from Mar- Marmel or Mosellock were. But you could sense the undertone of, yeah, we'd really like to get him back here. And I think the most interesting of the comments was when Mosellock was asked for kind of what the team's looking at coming up with this trade deadline. He said, well, we may need to add at the catcher position to, to boost the offense there. May need to look to acquire a catcher. I wonder if that's something that got Yadier Molina's attention because this guy has just assumed, okay, I've been the catcher for this team for a million years. I'm going through whatever I'm going through. But when I come back, you know, the job is mine, obviously. There's no question about that. But then you go start talking about adding other catchers to the equation, I wonder if that got Yachty's attention a little bit. Not saying he's not injured, not saying the knees have not been ailing him, but I think he's comfortable and it's preferential for him personally to get his work done in Puerto Rico, to start feeling better, but you're also in Puerto Rico. You're away from the team and you're not in that environment of the grind, the daily grind. Even guys who are not actively playing, if you're around more, that just sort of makes you feel more ingrained with what the team is going through and what that all looks like. And we've seen comments from Cardinals saying, yeah, we miss our catcher. We miss Yadier Molina's presence here, whether he's playing or not. Be nice to have him around. And I think that just sort of got to a fever pitch where those comments were starting to come about more frequently and with a little bit more emphasis. 
to where it seemed like, yeah, something's got to give on this situation at some point. Then the famous way that we learn any information about Yadier Molina typically, he posts on Instagram. He puts together an Instagram post on Tuesday afternoon, picture of him in a Cardinals uniform. The caption is just a baseball emoji. And at that moment, I said, oh, he's coming back. I don't know when, but it's soon. And we're going to find out about it before too long. That ended up being exactly correct. Around 4 p.m. Central, Cardinals media reporters were meeting with Ali Marmel, and he said that Yadier Molina will rehab the last week of July and return to the big league team around the first week of August and that John Mozeliak has hashed out that plan with Yadi. It's good that those two could get on the phone and figure this out because I, I was I could have seen a way for that to begin to become a little bit questionable with John Mozeliak fielding questions about Molina. He's like, yeah, I don't really know either, and it would be really nice if we could figure this thing out. So I think everybody's on the same page now. It is a little bit strange to me that you'd have the announcement of a rehab assignment that's weeks away. I mean, I know the All-Star break is coming up, and so you're not going to start anything over that period, but it just seemed a little bit strange. And I guess once the All-Star break is over, you'll be pretty much close to that last week of July, but not quite. And so it was interesting to me that they don't think he'll return until that first week of August, but it'll probably take a number of games ramping up for Yachty since he hasn't been in game action for a while. And he has generally looked a little sluggish with his play so far this season as it is. But I think that's coming in late spring training. It's the years of baseball wearing on the knees and the other joints in your body that have made it difficult on him to do his job at the level that he expects to play. And so that's why you've seen him sort of have to take a step back and, and try to heal up and, and get ready for the stretch run. But I do think you'll see him in some rehab assignments, the location to be determined. But if you're a Cardinals fan in Springfield or Memphis or whatever, you're holding your breath, probably hoping that you might get a chance to see Yachty rehabbing in your town in the last year of his big league career. That would be kind of fun to see. I know that last week of July, there's a Yachty Air Molina tumbler. I think that they're giving away in Springfield. So maybe that would be a good fit for Yachty to do his rehab. It'll just depend on the scheduling of things though and what, what works best. Uh, to to get him his work and then get him back to the team in St. Louis as soon as possible. But that's the update on Yadier Molina. If you have more questions or, or concerns, comments about what that whole situation has been like, I, I'll be the first to admit it's a little bit odd the way that it's gone down. Uh, but, you know, special circumstances, I guess, for a special player. And the Cardinals are just looking to put this time period behind them where they have been without Yadi, and they're looking forward to getting him back. So, Good to see, though, guys like Andrew Kisner coming through. That may be a message that was heard loud and clear by him as well when Mozeliak said last week that they could be looking at the catcher position as one to upgrade offensively at the trade deadline. Three-hit night for Kisner, three RBIs, starting to get those numbers up where the Cardinals need them to be. you like to see that. That's going to do it, though, for this edition of B-Shape Daily. appreciate you guys, as always, for listening and sticking with the podcast. Once again, if you haven't subscribed, I'd love to have you on board. And be the one to leave an Apple Podcast review and make my day the way that Luke did today when he sent me that message on Tuesday about the Apple review. Appreciate you guys as always. We'll talk to you next time on Be Shaved Daily.